stayed indoors. We hung out with the family. We just chilled, chillaxed. Is that still a word? No, it's not a word. We didn't chillax. We chilled and relaxed. And um, we had a, had a really good time just, you know, being dad and being with my kids and talking to them and hearing about who they are, who they're becoming, how God is shaping them. It was really fun. And then the next week we went all over and went crazy, eating tons of food and way too much food, getting, gaining weight, which is what you're supposed to do in the holidays. Um, especially when it's this cold in San Diego, you need that extra layer, you know? And so, so it was a fun time, and it's good to be back. Yes, good to be back with you guys. Um, we're diving into a new series called Rooted, and I just want to say thank you, first of all, to Kenny for bringing it last week, talking about abiding. Yeah. Kenny, uh, Kenny preached about abiding in Christ and resting in Christ and these rhythms in our life that we have to have in order to maintain a healthy spiritual walk. And um, I'm stoked that he and Hannah actually get to take the next few weeks, and they're going to take a sabbatical, newlywed sabbatical, and just not lead worship on Sundays, not preach, and just be a family and relax and rest and abide in Christ together, because that's what family does. So stoked about that. So if you have any counseling stuff, just hit me up. All right, leave Kenny alone for the next several weeks. And we'll just let him uh, relax and, and have a good time. Um, that scripture in John, of course, says, Abide in me and you will bear much what? Fruit. Yeah. How many of you guys want to bear fruit in your lives? Yeah. So in order to bear good fruit, we have to sometimes dig down to the root of what's going on in our life. The root of our beliefs. The root of what we really are living out of. And that's what this series is about because it all starts in the heart. I want to start off with a question. I'm going to kind of introduce the series for the next few minutes, and then we're going to dive into the first uh, very short topic. But let me ask you a question. What do you really believe? Like at your core, at the foundation of your soul, what do you really believe? What are you building your life on? One of the things that we've talked about a lot the last few weeks as we walk through the Ten Commandments is that Christianity is not about behavior, it's about belief, right? And so we've, we've spent a great deal of time this last year saying that if we want to have growth and health and transformation and better relationships, it doesn't start from the outside in. It doesn't start with behavior modification. It starts where? Right here in our hearts, Scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart because it's what? It's the wellspring of your life. And Jesus says something really similar that's kind of the key passage for this whole series over the next several weeks we're going to walk through. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, but each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things up out of the good stored in his what? Heart. And a bad man, evil man, brings evil things out of his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What you believe dictates your behavior. Who you are on the inside is going to come out, right? You may say you believe something, but actions speak a lot louder than words, don't they? Our lives show what we truly believe. So if you want to know what you really believe, just look at your life. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your finances? Who do you spend them with? What kinds of actions and attitudes are represented in your life? Because your life is literally your set of beliefs incarnate. You are a living, breathing, walking theology. You are, in a sense, a word made flesh, if you will. You, you're a walking billboard for what you actually believe at the core of who you are. And all of that starts in your heart. So what does your life say? What is your life telling you about Whose word you're believing? 
about your view of God. How do you view God? Look at your life. What's it, what's it tell you about how you view yourself? What, do you, what does your life tell you about what you believe will save your life, will give you hope and meaning and value? The fruit of your life, your actions, your words, your emotions, how you feel, that all flows directly from the faith that they're rooted in. So you may say you believe something, but the fruit of your life speaks a lot louder in your actions. So over the next few weeks, we're going to examine our hearts and our core beliefs. And my hope through this time is that this wouldn't just be a sermon series. Because at the end of the day, what, one of the things that is, is different, I think, hopefully about New City, is we feel a very strong call about this commission that Jesus gave us to make disciples. That's what this church is about. It's about making disciples in community on mission. That is, that is why Sundays may feel a little different. If it's your first time here, we welcome you. Sundays may feel a little different for you because we haven't planned all week for one hour on Sunday to put on the big show. What we try to do is we turn that on its head and we say Sundays are an hour that we're using to hopefully equip and send us out on mission to make disciples throughout the week. We've kind of flipped it upside down because where, where are disciples made? Are they made in an hour on Sunday or are they made in the everyday rhythms of life? As we hang out with one another, as we rub shoulders with each other, as we live life on mission together. And when it's comfortable and when it's uncomfortable, right? That's, that, is, that is community. That's what God's chosen to make disciples. And so this series, we don't want to just preach a bunch of sermons that are beautiful and eloquent. We could try to do that and hopefully it will be somewhat beautiful and eloquent. But... What we really want to do is equip the people of God for the works of ministry. That's what, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, right? God has given the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, teachers, and evangelists for what? For the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. This isn't, just, this, this isn't ministry right here. This is part of the greater ministry that God is doing through you and me and all of us every day throughout the week. And we need to be equipped for that work of ministry. So I want to be equipped, and I want all of us to be equipped to help one another really examine our lives. How many of us know people that are struggling with big things in their life, and they can't seem to get victory over it? Anxiety, depression, addictions, brokenness. Hey, I came to God. I came to Christ. I became a believer to get some kind of victory, and yet here I am still struggling X, X amount of years later, I can't seem to give victory. Well, you know what? It's time as a church that we take this call to discipleship seriously. That it's not just about behavior modification and telling people, well, you need to try harder. You need to do better. But it's about us really helping one another examine our root beliefs about, about how we see God, who he is. And about what we really believe will save our life, what the good news is, what the Savior is, or what functional saviors maybe we be, we're, we're worshiping instead, and, and who we believe we are and how we therefore live. So today, we're going to dig into that. I'm excited. I know we did this a few weeks ago, and this whole series, we're not going to do um, just do a giant dialogue, but I wanted to kick off this series with one more time of us walking from fruit to root through a story that's, that's an, a very famous story called the prodigal son. And we're, we're going to examine this truth that God calls himself. He claims, he dares to claim to be our father. What does that mean to have God as father? When you think about that, father is his primary truth. It's one of the greatest needs of our heart. When you guys think of a dad, let me ask you, what do you think of? What roles, when you think of a father, what role do you think a father should play in somebody's life? What kinds of things does a good, healthy father do for his children? Anybody? Speak truth. Give wisdom into his kids' lives. Yeah. What else? Sets an example. So you speak truth, you declare it, but you also demonstrate it. You set a good example. Great. Yeah. Ashley. He's a protector. Yeah. How many of you guys would, would like somebody to, like, have your back and protect you in life? Yeah. Yeah. What else? What other things does a father do? David. A provider. Yeah. 
That's a big one. What else? A disciplinarian. So somebody who tells you this is the right way and say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a second, that's the wrong way. Don't go that way. Yeah. Somebody who's going to help you. Melissa. Love you even when you mess up. I think one of the biggest needs in our heart is to be known as we are and to be loved and accepted as we are. That's, that's such a pivotal thing, isn't it? Isn't that a craving we all have to really be known and loved? Yeah. Anybody else? Father role? He's there. He's present. Not an absentee dad. Yeah. It's key. It's so important that we have these kinds of things. I know when I think about fathers, I know um, just my own story. Uh, my dad, he was, he was a great dad. He was a pastor. Um, he had had a father and a series of fathers before him that kind of came from the old country. Persian and Swedish was the mix. And so they were very kind of non-touchy-feely, non-expressive with love. You know, I love you because you have food on your plate. That's how you know you're loved by me. And so I know my dad, he was trying to make up for that. And so he was very expressive with his love. And that was awesome. So I'm so thankful for the good parts of my dad. But there was, not everything was perfect, right? I don't know if any of you guys had perfect fathers. I sure didn't. He, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's certain things you look at as a kid and you say, I don't want to carry that on when I'm a dad. I don't want that to carry on in my life. The first thing, I think the most important thing was his uh, type of joking. Um, unfortunately, I totally carried that on. <laughs> I'm like the king of corny jokes and, and shtick. It, it's horrible. Like if you hang out with me long enough, you'll be like, You're... oh, please stop. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah. And... Um, yeah, somehow, some way, that, like, didn't escape me, unfortunately. Uh, there was other things, like, my pops was super sporadic, which was great at times, because I remember there were times, like, John and I were talking about this week, where he'd show up at school, and it was a private school at his church, right? So he'd show up and, and say, hey, Vince, come get in the car. Grab a couple of your friends. Okay, what, what are we doing? We're going to Disneyland. Yeah, but I got school. No, don't worry about it. We're going to, I'm the president of this school. <laughs> Yes, okay. So that was awesome. I, I loved that part. And then, but there was other times where it was sporadic, and that sporadicness affected stuff where he just wasn't there. Or he said he would be there, and he wasn't. Or he promised me this, and it didn't end up happening because this other thing became more important in the moment. And so there was these, these scars, even with a really good dad that I was fortunate to have, there's still these imperfections and scars that, that have, have affected me. Now, I had a couple of friends, and their dad was in prison. And so they didn't really even have a dad at home. My father, he brought them in. And they were like my brothers because I was an only child. So they were like my, my besties, man. We, we hung out all the time. And my dad, like, loved them very well. But I remember um, in just so many stories, I'm not sure how many are appropriate, but, like, the, the kind of advice their father would give them wasn't the loving kind of fatherly advice that you would want to give your son. And I remember seeing how much that affected their lives and still affects their stories even till today. And I had other friends that didn't even have a dad. Not even, not even a father. He was absentee. There was this girl, this, and sorry if this is heavy, but we need to just be honest with the way things are. There was this girl um, in our church. Her name was Anna Lee. She showed up. She was in her 30s. And um, when she was about eight or nine years old, uh, her father had started coming into her room at night and doing things that are unspeakable. And um, that behavior carried on even into adulthood. She had a kind of a, uh, what would you call it, Stockholm Syndrome, as it will, uh, with, with her father. This guy who was supposed to represent God to her. Protection, provision, love. Everything was twisted and warped and broken. She showed up at our church when her father had passed off the scene and died. And she told a story about how he would paste scriptures up on the wall in an antichrist kind of a sanctuary where he came to have his way with her in her 20s. She was broken. She was scarred. She could barely, the idea of God as father to her 
was almost perverse. She couldn't even begin to conceive it. We live in a world where even the best dads among us fall short, but oftentimes the picture of daddy is broken and jarring and screwed up. If we're honest, I think that's why you have things like FedEx says one of the busiest days of the year is Mother's Day. One of the least busy holidays of, of any day when things are shipped is Father's Day. Why? Because dads haven't acted honorably so often in our society. Therefore, they haven't been really worthy of honor. What a heartbreaking reality. And into that mess, Jesus walks and proclaims that God is Father boldly. In the face of of that brokenness and shattered reality, Jesus says, no, let me tell you about a good father. When you pray, begin, our father. I was reading in CBR this week in Luke, Jesus is just a kid. He gets left behind at Jerusalem, and his parents search for him for three days. Where is he? They find him in the temple. And, and they say, and he's there speaking with the scribes and Pharisees, and people are having their minds blown with how wise he is. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing here? And he says, I must be about my father's business. And the text says that Joseph and Mary are bewildered and don't know what that means. They had no idea until later on they started to pick it up because this whole concept of God being father wasn't on the forefront of the thought in, in, in religion among God's people at that time. In fact, Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the son of God and he's my father. And the Pharisees pick up stones to stone him and say, that's blasphemy what you're saying. The kind of relationship that Jesus has isn't something that we're always comfortable with on our own in the natural. Yet he brings us into that reality. He is the son of God, and he's called us all sons and daughters of God. And he's brought the father heart of God close to us. My prayer for us today is that we'd be able to walk out of this place and say the most central core truth to who I am is what that song just said. He's a good father, and I'm loved by him. Can you say that in the heart of your hearts? Because if that is the most defining reality and truth for your life, I'll tell you what, it will free you from so many things we're driving toward. The, The places where our scars are holding us back from experiencing the love of God, that truth will heal. The, the areas in our life where we're scared and fear is holding us back of letting go of control because I need to have a plan. I need to have control in my life. If you can trust the Father heart of God for you, it frees you to trust his plan, to not live in anxiety or fear of the future. You guys see that? Yeah. If you can, if you can trust, because we have all these hungers. Our, our souls are starving for things. But the moment you start to trust the Father heart of God, it starts to free you from the things you're hungry for and trying to fill your soul with the junk food, as it were, out there. Because you know He provides something true and beautiful and wonderful. He's your provider. You don't need to seek satisfaction somewhere else. Outside of His will, outside of His plan, in the things that addict us, in the things that bind us up. So my hope for us today is that we would really catch a vision of God as Daddy God, the Father heart of God. And in order to do that, we're going to jump into this story. And it's Luke chapter 15. I asked John to come and read it. And what we're going to do is, it's a little different from a sermon today. And maybe I'll preach a, a more sermon, not sermon type sermon next week. But this week, what I want us to do is walk through this exercise one more time we did a couple weeks ago and talk about who God is in this story, what he's done, who we are, and how we can live. So we're going to walk through dialogue. In order to do that, while John's getting ready, I just want to say, first of all, please share if you have a thought, because this is going to fall flat and be the most boring next 20 minutes of your life if nobody shares anything. But if you guys will share, it will be amazing, because we believe the Holy Spirit will speak to his people. Secondly, um, 
don't be offended if I have to keep going, because if we got to answer eight questions, I got to do them in about two minutes each. So if I don't get to every hand, it's because we got to keep moving. It's, it's, it's not against anybody, any one person raising their hands. Okay, cool. Let's listen to this classic story, and I want to I wanna admonish you guys, listen to it with fresh ears, see it with fresh eyes. I know we've all heard this story, maybe some of us several, several times, but let's listen in and see what the Holy Spirit would say to your heart today. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, Luke 15, 11 to the end. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a young man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had And took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Wow, so how ungrateful is that son? Right, he... His dad, who is who's wealthy, has everything. And I, I can, you know, I was listening to a talk earlier this week, and uh, the gentleman who was talking, he said, in an audience in Israel, people would start scoffing at this story. Because what kind of father would do this with his son? Your ungrateful son comes to you and says, hey, I know what's legally mine is coming to me, but when you, it's coming when you die. I'm just going to act like you're dead. I want it now. I want your stuff without you. I want all the, the blessings of the Father without the relationship of the Father, right? And so the Father, what does the Father do? The Father, instead of saying, hey, you know what? What I would do, sit down. Let's have a talk. All right, you're being greedy. You're being silly. You have no idea that you're about to destroy your life. You don't even have the wisdom for this money yet. Let's wait. Let me teach you a few years. You can go eventually, but... Just, just hold your horses. What does the father do instead? He gives it to him. 
And, and the gentleman who was talking said, any Jewish father at this time would laugh and snicker and say, what a foolish dad. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's setting them up. Because they don't get the grace that this father, it's called the story of the prodigal son, but it really, as Tim Keller says, should be called the story of the prodigal father. Because prodigal means wasteful. Right? And the son takes his inheritance out and wastes it. And at the end, everybody takes everything from him and leaves him. And all the Jewish people who are listening to this story would say, well, the father really wasted everything. He gave it all to the son, and it was a waste. What a stupid waste. What a stupid thing to do. He must have not really loved his son. But the truth is, when that young man ends up in the pig pen, he realizes something. There's only one person who ever actually gave to me. Everyone else took, but there's one person in my life, there's one place I can go where I can find some kind of reprieve for my soul, where I can be me, where I can live, where I can really truly exist. And because of the Father's grace, that young man comes home, doesn't he? The Father cares more about his heart than he cares about his money and his riches. And that is what grace is all about. So today, as we journey into this, I want to remind you guys about the Father's heart for you, the Father's love for you. And let's ask some questions. The first question is, looking at the behavior of the Son. Uh, sorry. So we're going to walk from what do I do, who I am, what God has done, to who God is, and then work our way back up. Go ahead, two more slides. What are some things we see the Son do in this story? Real quick, let's fire them off. What are some things he does? Because he doesn't really trust his father's heart, because he cares more about the money than his father. What does he do? He goes and throws parties. Yeah. What else? Say again. Runs away from home. Rejects his father. What else? Spends all his money. Has no contact with his dad. This guy is writing everything off, isn't he? I've got a clean slate. I'm going to go live my life. No concern for how his choices affect everyone else in his life. Yeah, his temporary happiness is more important to him than everything else he had in his life. Yeah. He demands what he thinks he's entitled to. Man, there's that entitlement word. Such a big word in our generation and our culture. Yeah, what else? No view of the future. It's all what pleases me now, right? That's why the money runs out, and he's like, ah, oh, man, I'm with the pigs, you know. Anything else? Mm. He tries to get himself out of the situation, doesn't he? He's looking to his own works to save him, to redeem his life. Now, let's let's... Take a step back from that and say, okay, well, that's the stuff we're seeing him do. What's he believing about himself? How's he seeing himself? What, how may he be seeing himself when he does this? Where's some things he thinks he needs? Where's some maybe felt needs he has? Some incompleteness in his life? Yeah, Erica. Mm. Yeah, his way is better than his dad's way. My dad's out of touch. It's a generational gap. He doesn't get it. Yeah. This is how people are living now. What else? He's somehow in control of his own life. That's what he believes. Yeah. Is he? No, he's not. But that's what he thinks. Yeah, John. He doesn't have enough. He needs more. More, more, more. And what does he need more of? What things is he seeking in this? Yeah, so like pleasure, sensual pleasure, yeah, immediate pleasure, riotous living, it says. What is riotous living? Instant gratification, yeah. I think riotous living, I think maybe like what happens in Comic-Con, you know, some of those Comic-Con parties where everybody's dressed up like Pokemon and raging. That's what I think. That's what I imagine. (laughs) <laughs> you got to live in downtown, Tom. <laughs> I almost got killed by a 200-pound Pokemon one year. That's, 
Anyway, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's keep moving. So this is how he's seeing himself. I'm lacking. I'm not complete. My dad's out of touch. I'm in control. I need to be in control at least. My plan's best. Yeah, what else? Why? Why does he, what does he believe will save him? What does he believe will give his life meaning and value? Money, experiences. Yeah, what else? Independence. These are the false gospels he's believing. These are the functional saviors he's looking to to give him life. Mm, other people's perceptions, how they, sorry? Mm. Oh, yeah, walks into Flux. He's like, hey, it's on me tonight. Everybody's like, that guy's awesome, right? I'm Facebook friending him until he stops saying it's on me tonight. And then, okay, cool. Hey, what happened to that dude? I don't know. He ran out of money. Yeah, what else? What's that? Women, yeah, seeking sensual pleasure with women and escapism. And I would add, too, like seeking sensual pleasure with women as objects, right? It's just prostitutes, like crazy. That's what he's doing, blowing his money on that. Yeah, and, and escapism. He's unhappy with his life. He's trying to find some kind of escape, some alternate reality he can be part of that gives him greater pleasure. Yeah. Now, what's all this saying about how he views dad? He's living out of his view of dad. What is he believing about who dad actually is? Say that again. He's not there. Okay, so he's, he's, he feels disconnected maybe from the heart of dad. Feels like dad's maybe absentee, busy. Okay, what else? Less than? His father's less than what he needs. He needs more than what his dad has to offer. He's unwise. He doesn't have a good enough plan for me. I've got a way better plan. Yeah. We see how that worked out for him. Mm. He wants his dad to be a background character. The, 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 the secondary role in the story, if you will, while he's the center. And he's there when he needs him for what he can get from him. Yeah. Good. Mm. So he knows his dad can bless him, but he wants the blessing on his terms. His time, his way. Doesn't sound at all like any of us. Tom. Doesn't trust his dad. Doesn't trust his dad in every way. Really. Gotcha. So he's looking for true freedom away from his father's oppressive rules. So instead of seeing his dad's rules as like good news, he sees them as oppressive. Good. Anything else, Katie? Mm. Yeah. If I could just scratch that itch, then I'll be really free. Then I'll really have what I'm searching for in life. Yeah. So he's viewing his dad as getting in the way of that. Anything else on dad before we move on? David. Mm. Yeah. If my dad really knew what was going on inside of me, he wouldn't give it to me anyway. I just need to take control, get away from dad, and live my way. Yeah. Yeah. You guys see this? You see how... All of his behavior in life is tracking back into what he thinks, who he is, what he thinks will give him life, what he thinks will save his life, and how he really views his dad. But let's talk about the truth. Let's talk about the truth, because we don't just want to repent from our false views of who God is, what he's done, who we think we are, and how we're supposed to live. We don't just want to repent from those, but we want to believe truth. That's what's going to set us free, right? So let's talk about the truth. What... What is the truth about the Father presented in this scripture? John. The Father knew what the Son wanted and needed all along. Yeah, good. What else? What else do we see about the dad, his character, who he is? Yes. Yes. 
He's not trying to control his son. What a picture of daddy God that is, right? How many times do I feel like dad's just trying to control me or use me for what he wants ultimately instead of something for my good? Yeah, John. His dad misses him. Yeah, where do we see that in this story? He's waiting out on the road, eyes peeled, looking for some kind of hope, some dust cloud to kick up as he sees his son walking home. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So the father's love for the son isn't contingent upon the son and how he acts. Yeah, it never changed. He loved that son no matter how the son treated him. Yeah, Romero. Yeah, yeah. The father runs, goes against cultural norms, throws his arm around, hugs his neck, kisses him, ecstatic to have his son back. What, what, what character of God do you see on display in that? Grace, mercy, love, compassion, patience. What a dad. Now let's do a couple more, David. Mm. Ah. Yeah, so there's certain people maybe in our society that we wouldn't just run up and hug, right? Because the way they look, the way they smelled, whatever. And this father, he doesn't care about any of that. He just loves his son. Yeah, the heart. David. He just keeps pouring out, even though others might consider it waste. There's nothing he won't give for his son's heart. Yeah. Two more. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So from the, from the onset, the father knows what's going to end up happening. And he's, he embraces the pain. He embraces all the stuff he's going to have to walk through with his son. And he's out there waiting with the ring and the jacket ready to bring him back home into family. Wow. What a picture. And this, this story, of course, is surrounded by two other stories. The story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, where somebody is out seeking, right? The father's out on the road seeking, waiting for his son to come back. John. Yeah. The son is just full of shame, rags, grows naked, un, you know, unkempt. And the father covers all that. The father interrupts his, like, shameful spiel. Father, I've come back to be a servant in your head. He's just, shh, come here, you. You know, he just, he's not having it. There's no room for the shame or the guilt. I love you. You're my son. What, what, let's, let's move on. So that's a bit about the father. How is his character displayed when he responds to his son. So how do we see that character displayed? Yeah. Katie. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't just get the pods the pigs eat. He gets the fattened calf. He would just do anything for some of those pods, whatever those are. <laughs> but he got the fatted calf. Yeah. What else? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Full restoration, not partial, not, hey, we'll wait and see. You know, you're on a trial period, you know. Uh, what do they call that when you get a new job and you don't get insurance for six months? Probation. You're on probation. We'll see if you really pan out here, son. You know, no, full restoration. Yeah, what else? Mm. The father didn't let him earn it. It wasn't based on his works. It was based on his son's heart. It was based on the relationship. It was based, actually, the father does a lot of absorbing, doesn't he? 
The father doesn't exact justice or revenge on the wasted money. The father takes money out of his own account to give to the son, to provide a meal, to bring him back in. The father absorbs the pain and the suffering in order to have the son back. What a picture of the gospel. Let's, how does the father see the son? What's true of the son as the father sees him? Let's, oh, sorry, yeah. What is true of the son? How does the father see him? So the son had these false beliefs about himself. He was seeing himself. It led him to all this negative life and brokenness. But what was actually true about him the whole time? Mm. Okay. He was searching for something, and yet the father knew that. And the, but what he was searching for, he kind of had all along, didn't he? He had it all along. Yeah, what else? John. Mm. He was always in the air. Yeah. Ashley. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so his identity is not in his works. The bad he did, the good he tried to do when he went to return home and, and, and confess and all that stuff. No, 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 no. His identity was rooted in the Father's love for him and the fact that he was a son. His sin even never changed that, did it? He was a son. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Full dignity. He's his, he's his father's creation. His father pours out extravagantly, not just money when he goes to waste it, but love and grace when he returns. Yeah. Matt, last one. It's, it's a personal love, isn't it? And that's a huge point. We don't want to miss that point. Because I think one of the things we can do if we're not careful is we can theologize all this stuff. Yeah, God loves everybody. He has to. He's God. <laughs> Anybody? I've been there. But what a truth. Yeah, you ever think about the fact that God, the, the Bible uses the word adoption? There's a difference when you go to adopt somebody than when they're just born to you, isn't there? I, I mean, I remember when Ivan came out. Is Ivan in here? Okay, don't tell Ivan this. When Ivan came out, he, I'm just going to be honest with you. He's, he's, he's a darn cute kid now, right? I love my son. He looked like a wet alien rat when he first came out. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is my child. The fruit of my loins carrying my name. You don't get to choose. You know, you're the, okay, we'll take him home. You know, maybe if you see some sunlight, you know. And yeah, man, look at, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Anyway, point is, in adoption, man, it's different with adoption, isn't it? You show up at the adoption agency and kids got their, like, resume together and, like, their references and, you know, their profile. Hello, sir, I, you know. May I please be your son? You know, it's, and you get to choose. God chose you. That is the truth beyond all the joking. The truth is God chose you. God adopted you. God loves you. There's a scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, it says that uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? We're not saved by works, saved by grace, but we're saved under these good works. But then he uses this word workmanship. Do you know what the, the, the Greek word there for workmanship is? Poema. It's, the word, it's where we get the word poem. You're God's poem. You're his workmanship. You're a fine piece of art. You're a story he's telling. He takes great delight in you. He loves you. I don't know how you feel about your earthly dad, but you've got a good, good father, and he loves you. 
Let's go to the last one. How does he move from doubt to trust in his father's heart? What's he do? What, is, what does the son have to do in order to move from doubt to trust? Turn around and come back? Yeah, what else? Did his begging work? Did his shame spiel work? No. What worked? What's that, Tom? Receiving, embracing. In fact, you know what? Just for giggles, put your hands out like this for a second, will you? And close your eyes. That's the posture of receiving. Now, we don't always do this kind of stuff here, but can you just close your eyes and imagine receiving the Father's love right now? That's the posture. We don't have to do anything. The grace of God is freely yours. Just receive his love. Receive his grace. Receive his healing. He loves you so much. I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to come down and receive communion. And I'd, I'd like for you, if you can, in your heart, to just kind of keep that posture of receiving the Father's love during, during this time. Because at the end of the day, it's not just a bunch of theological truth that actually changes our life, but it's when that truth changes our hearts. When we feel the love of God transform us from within, that will change our lives. Father, I pray that you would make yourself known to us today, maybe to some for the first time, with our broken pictures of daddy. I'm sure there's more than one pretty broken picture of daddy here in this audience. People who the word father or the image of daddy conjures up all kinds of brokenness and sorrow, scars. I pray you'd bring healing today. For people that are scared to trust you because they think their plan is best, I pray today that for the first time they would trust your father heart for them. That you're doing exactly what you want in their life for their ultimate good, their ultimate happiness. I pray for those that are looking for provision outside of you and outside of your plan into things that cause them to waste away. That they would trust in your way of providing. That they would trust you to provide their happiness and joy and life, their finances, in everything, in every area of their life, that they would trust you, trust your daddy heart. As we come down and receive communion and, and talk through this in groups of two or three, I pray that you would really apply this to all of us personally, not just to a story told 2,000 years ago about some kid, but that this would become very personal Holy Spirit to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're new here, um, we, we take communion at the end of most of our services, and we do this as a time to radically apply the truth of the gospel to our own hearts We've got one more slide, and we need to keep the group smaller today so we can each work through this. So if you want, ideally groups of two or groups of two or three, come down, receive communion, and then just kind of work these questions one at a time. What are some ways I behave like this, son? How may I be seeing myself when I do these things? So we're making it personal, okay? Um, I'm, in order to save time, I'm not going to read through all the questions, but I'm going to ask you guys to do that. Come on down in groups of two or three. And then we're going to come back together. We're going to sing one more song and dismiss. If you um, are, are not a believer or don't want to receive communion, I encourage you, you're free to hang out in the foyer if you'd like, or you can come on down and listen in on one of the groups and, and watch what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts as we dare to believe the truth that Daddy God loves us and is for us and even delights in us, as Zephaniah says. All right? Come on down. God bless you.